think it is on. Is it on? I don't know. Oh, it looks like it is. Okay. Praise be. Now I've just destroyed the entire podcast. No, you know, like you, we do. No, you haven't destroyed the whole thing. Your knife cuts have destroyed the whole thing. Okay, Hannibal. I, uh, <laughs> I guess that I ruined it. It's like, no, no, no. You haven't destroyed it. Your, your bad knife skills have destroyed it. I kind of want you to, like, describe what you were doing at Akon now. Uh, so at Akon, I made a peach cobbler for my co-panelist, Carlos, and... I was slicing peaches with a giant chef's knife in our kitchen singing Pretty Women from Sweeney Todd. And that that's pretty much peak Amanda. Yeah, that's that's it. That's it. If you need to understand aesthetic of me, that's it. It's I mean, that's pretty much like the textbook definition right there, I feel like. Yeah, if you had to Google what my aesthetic is, it's pretty much that. It was a delicious peach cobbler, by the way. I mean, I bet it was. I've had your peach cobbler before. It's yep. amazing. So, what are we covering today? So, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. I'm just here to hang out. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> um, there's cheese and a corpse reviver, so... There is. Yeah. We'll, talk about more, we'll talk more about that. But uh, we do have something to get off of our chest before we dive too deeply into the macabre. Okay, so we kind of feel like badasses right now, or at least I do, because we are celebrating over 100 Facebook likes now. Yay! Thank you, guys. I think we're at, like, 120 now, which is kind Tr- of amazing. Truthfully astonishing. Yeah, I mean, I'm still amazed that people want to listen to me talk, but, you know. Um, So we have a few prizes that we're going to give away. Mm -hmm. Um, The first five winners will be... Wait, sorry. We have five winners total. Yes. Hi, I've already screwed this up. No, you haven't. Um, We're going to be selecting one grand prize winner from Facebook. Um, They will win a unfortunately required reading mug as Mm -hmm. well as a sticker. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we will have four other winners who will get a sticker mailed to them, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, we might add more things to it. Uh, think of it as an unfortunately required reading prize pack. Yes. Uh, what we'd like from you is to enter. You need to go to Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. and leave us a review. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, a five-star review. But uh, be honest. But be honest. And uh, winners are going to be selected on the 20th of July. We'll go ahead and promote this on our, um, our all of our social media. Yes. Winners will be selected randomly, so don't think this is like the Hunger Games, that you must be first. Right. Right. But uh, if you want to encourage people to listen to the show, this would be really helpful. Yeah, this is a great time to do it. Uh, We'll be running this contest starting when we finish recording today Mm -hmm. for two weeks until the 20th of this month, which is conveniently after my birthday. Mm -hmm. Yay. Uh, Thank you all so much for getting us over 100. I am deeply grateful to every single one of you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Yes. So. Yes. With that out of the way, and it is Amanda's birthday month. Yay! So, as the rules go, Amanda gets to choose the literature that we cover this month. Yes. And we are doing The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. We sure are. And I'm very excited because like most basic edgelords, I love Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, who doesn't? Except kids who are forced to read it in class and don't understand it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say a hot take. Uh, Tori and I last night, uh, I shared with her a thread of literature hot takes. Oh my God, they were so good. They were so good. Here's my literary hot take. Um, Poe might be one of the most digestible artists and writers to understand if you don't like him, I'm going to go ahead and say you either have a preconceived notion or you're dumb. Like his work itself isn't hard to digest. It's you already have a preconceived notion of what you think his literature is, or you could not fight your way out of the paper bag. 
Okay. He's not a difficult author to understand. Like, he's not a Hawthorne. No. Yeah. In- Hawthorne hurts. Hawthorne hurts. Like, I, and I don't mean to sound elitist or prissy when I say that. He's just, I think that there's such an air around him that as a uh, vampire is frustrating. Well, I think a lot of it, too, is we're basically told that if you're a goth kid, you like Poe and Plath, yes. and that's about it. Yes, you have um, two books. But I gotta tell you right now, my husband's not a goth, and he was really into Poe as a kid, so... Yeah, and also, I really like Paradise Lost. So... Which I could have made you read. I would like to read that at some point. Oh, we can do an entire Heaven Hell Month and do Dante's Inferno and Paradise Lost. Yes. I think we just figured out August. So, really fun story. Uh, I found out last night that there is a copy of Paradise Lost that is bound in human skin from a criminal who killed his wife. And I kind of freaked out about it. And I was way too level-headed about it. And then I ran into the room where my husband and my stepdaughter were playing a board game. And I went, okay, stepmom's going to tell you stuff you don't need to hear. And I told her, and she just gave me this, like, world-weary glance of why, why must you make me this way? For the record, uh, if you were to go back and look at our messages about this grimoire, which is what this is, it's a grimoire, uh, I'm very fine with it. I think I was just mad because I was like, well, we can't really Botox it. And you're like, yes, you can. You absolutely can. <laughs> you 100%. Okay, so for Halloween, if we either don't do Will and Hannibal or Cecil and Kevin, we've done a misservice to ourselves and to our podcasting audience. You know how excited I am that like I already have a costume planned and it's only July? I'm a cosplayer. This is my entire existence. So for Will, do I just have to borrow somebody's dogs? Yes, you have to. Dogs. And just walk around with like a drawing of a, a misshapen clock. If, if you haven't watched Hannibal, none of this makes sense. And we're yeah. not talking the movie, we're talking the TV show. That and if you're like me and you've only encountered it because of a literary erotica. Okay, so somewhere in this room, there is a whole collection of uh, literatica of Will and uh, Hannibal that was put together on a Kickstarter. So... <laughs> That's a thing why that is this, Why is this the Telltale Heart? What do you mean? I have to find it? I have to knock on panels to find I'm desperately trying to get us back on topic. I know. Anyway, the alternate title of this episode is Anxiety Makes Terrible Murderers. Yes, it, it does. I have anxiety, and I also watch a lot of crime television, and both those things remind me that I could not be a bad person. So, as kind of mentioned, what we are drinking is a Corpse Reviver yes, by Amanda. Yes, we're drinking a Corpse Reviver because uh, Poe really liked cognac, and we can't afford cognac yet. We're getting there. But a Corpse Reviver is a Prohibition cocktail, so this is anachronistic. Uh, it usually has cognac and Calvados and uh, red vermouth because emo. I substitute apple brandy, normal brandy, because all cognac is is brandy from cognac. It's like champagne. And shook it up with uh, frozen hands into a cocktail that I think is pretty okay. Mm-hmm. And also we're eating, what is it, rugged mature English yeah, cheddar? Yeah, it's seaside English cheddar. I went to Whole Foods and I spoke to the cheese person there. She called one of the cheddars basic. Like, <laughs> I looked at one, it was, a, it was a sweet red something. It's like, yeah, this one's kind of basic. I've never had a cheese referred to as basic. Is it like Red Leicester? No. Okay, because that's like It was just called Sweet Red, which sounds like uh, something porny relating to, like, a Scottish maiden. Now I, I, like, don't want to go look at the porn collection. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want that either. 
But I think I did okay a job on this Corpse Survivor. Yeah, it's good. It definitely goes down a lot smoother than Uzo. Oh my gosh. Uh, Tori's upset with me because at the end of this month we have to drink absinthe again. I know. I know. And I'm trying. I'm trying. Anyway, short story long. This yes. is actually, I think, the shortest thing that we've read on this podcast. I mean, is it? If you don't count Sappho fragments or Gatsby, this is shorter than Gatsby. It's way is shorter it? than Gatsby. Yeah. Time is irrelevant. <clears throat> time is time is a myth. Mm-hmm. So our unnamed narrator lives with an old man who he helps take care of. He's got nothing against him. The old man has never been shady or done really anything at all. The guy doesn't want his money or anything like that. But the old man has a super ugly giant blue eye that freaks the narrator out to no end. So I kind of picture it like the mole dude in the third Austin Powers movie where like you can't look away. I hate you for that reference. I, I know and I wanted I'm so proud of myself right now. So the narrator keeps trying to explain how he can't possibly be insane because I mean he was so cool while he was murdering this dude. Uh, what? Um, and he, he's talking about how cool he was, whether he was just thinking about murdering him or doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's called sociopathy. Uh, it's called narcissism. So for several days, the unnamed narrator stalks the old dude's room, but the eye is always closed because the guy is asleep. So he can't bring himself to kill him as long as the eye is closed. But on the eighth night, he creeps around and ends up making noise and it wakes up the eye dude who opens this eye, and it's like murder o'clock. The narrator murders him, cuts him up into pieces, and buries him under the floorboards, and acts, tries to act like everything is cool, and the guy just went on a trip. My favorite part is that he was talking about, oh, I, I cleaned him up in the bathtub, so, like, there's no evidence. But, like, if you've watched enough forensic files, you kind of know where this is going to end up. Yeah. The cops come back because they heard somebody screaming, and the narrator has, like, the mother of all panic attacks when the cops are there. Because he keeps hearing this beat of the dead guy's heart. And then he just admits all of his crimes to the cops. Yeah. And As that, you do. And that literally is the Telltale Heart. Yeah. Which is uh, really fun when the Simpsons cover it, too. Yeah, I, I do think also the Simpsons did a great job of covering the Raven. Yes, they did an excellent job. That was, like, the first VHS tape that we found in our house that, like, we are allowed access to. So super uncomfortable one. So my parents used to record TV shows for us on VHS. And one time there was one that was labeled Cinderella and I put it in and it was a porno and my mom managed to stop it within five seconds. But, uh, that kind of sticks with you. First of all, impressive that your mother became a meta human for a brief moment. (laughs) Oh, it's just like a mom talent. Like all of a sudden you're like, no, when you're like leaping across the room and you don't know how the child stopped choking, but now that you're sure that they're okay, it's all right. I don't Well, that sounds nice. Um, yeah, that was the short story long. I mean, I feel like I made it longer than Poe did. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Uh, here's the thing with that. This is meant to be... I don't want to call it horror because I think... Here's the issue with mo- the modern use of the word horror. Is that we expect it to be like sinister or insidious like the movies and no there's no jump scare in this book it's not stephen king it's something like that uh poe's using a type of horror that is suspenseful and anxiety driven and psychological and that doesn't do a lot for desensitized audiences right 
And that, I guess, I, I can see that being an air quotes ding against him. Because a lot of people bill him as like this master of horror, this master of horror. Because I have that problem like with Stephen King's books. Stephen King movies are scary. Stephen King books are coke-filled nonsense. Am I wrong? I'm not going to say one way or the other. I just remember reading, what was it, The Shining and being very concerned about how many lines about semen were in it. Too many. Um, Look, I wouldn't consider, like, Cujo as a book scary. Cujo as a movie is terrifying. Cujo as a dog is scary. Yeah, and there's also a lot of uncomfortable uh, collective memory being African-American and large dogs barking. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I, you know, I never understood that. It's like, why am I afraid of dogs? Like, oh, because your people were hunted sometimes. I mean, that's a thing. I mean, we had the conversation about birds that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, collective memory is a thing. So I do understand that if you're looking for, like, horror, yeah, Poe is not it. He's not going to scare you out of your seat the way, like, that dumb Annabelle movie can. I get really mad about Annabelle. Because people keep disrespecting her? Because that's not even what the doll looks like. No, that's not what she looks like. Well, because what she looks like is trademarked. That's that's true. Like, it's actually a pretty dumb, easy answer. She is a Raggedy Ann doll. She's really creepy. I don't think she's that creepy. I mean, I would never, I would never be in the same room as her. I mean, to be fair, though, I'm, I'm the one who got mad and my husband wouldn't let me go see Robert the Doll. In the I'm US, mad that so. your husband wouldn't <laughs> let you go see Robert the Doll. In his defense, he was worried that the entire ship would sink if I got back on All it, you so. have to do is ask permission. Like, all you have to do is not be a dick. That's all you have to do. Robert, out of all the haunted dolls, might be the most chill haunted doll. You just have to not be a dick. If you don't know about Robert the Doll, I'm not even going to summate this story. Literally, just listen to lore. Yeah, uh, or literally any podcast lately about uh, ghosts and hauntings. Yeah. But I, I do think that Aaron Mankey's episode on Robert, I think, is the best. Don't watch the TV episode. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead TV and say episode that. Was, okay, so I actually, that put me off of the entire Lore TV show. Yeah, that did too for me. So, that did it for me. And I love Mankey. I love him. I love his, his Lore podcast. But I mean, it just kind of was like, this, this is how we're adapting this? Yeah, they changed some things and they weakened the narrative, and that annoyed me. But um, I, I do think that that's frustrating, is when you get people who are like, oh, well, Poe's a horror writer. He's a horror writer. He's a suspense writer. Mm-hmm. And if he has horror, he's gothic horror, which is more about existential threats and psychological threats and threats to the psyche and the being of what it means to be a human being. It's... Most of his stuff is the fear of dying or losing your mind or being trapped in a situation that you can't get out of that no one's going to help you from. And if you already have a lot of those things inside you, like I've been very transparent having anxiety. Um, I think it's the pit, the pendulum. Oh. Thanks. That's a full on goddamn panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, they're uh, the cask of Amontillado with the whole, hey, we're going to get this guy drunk and then brick him up. I mean, that kind of stuff happened a lot of a lot of his stuff is hey so this is how somebody would have been tortured and killed uh let's go ahead and and amplify that and come across as the narrator of who this is happening to Mm -hmm. and poe is really good at capturing that um i i do feel like his stuff is still scary but you have to not be wanting cujo yeah. You have to be wanting something atmospheric and dark and more serial killer-esque. 
yeah. I guess is really where I'm coming from. On or that. just emotional and cerebral. Cause I know, um, I will go ahead and say this. I'm too black for horror a lot. Like I can't watch a lot of horror movies. Cause it's just like, why are you still in this house? Like paranormal activity. Oh my gosh. Paranormal activity is like, why are you still, why is this house still standing? But to be fair, you followed her. From her previous I don't give a house. hoot and a half. You need to burn that shit down. <laughs> See, that movie freaked me out because my big fear is demonic possession. Yeah. Like, I don't like listening to the Annalise Michelle recordings or any of oh. that because it scares the hell out of okay, me. who likes that? It's weird people. Weird people. Probably people who listen to this podcast. Hi. Hi. Um, but there's there's this scene in Paranormal Activity where she looks at the camera and it just looks it, exactly like photographs of people who are supposedly demonically possessed. Nah. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Thanks. I started a... My, my new Hulu obsession, that is a 90 Day Fiance, is Paranormal Caught on Camera. Okay, I haven't seen this yet. I just did the Into the Spider Verse shoulder touch on Tori. I just want you to know that. Uh, and it was worth it. It was worth I'm it. I'm going to go watch this after. Well, so, I mean, I'm going to edit the podcast and then I'm going to post it because I love you. That's why. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's literally like UFOs and ghosts and cryptids, like just people like recording. I, I picked up my phone. I know you guys can see Like I picked up my phone and gestured. Like, just paranormal caught on camera. And there's one where a baby cam, like a nanny cam, captures this kid. He's crying. He's screaming. He's like a toddler. And just before your eyes, he's standing on the railing of his crib, like, being held by something invisible and just wailing. And it's like, sorry, it was nice to have this child. You have to go now. It's like on My Favorite Murder anytime they talk about a kid getting a head injury. I'm just going to exchange this one. like, And and not even, like, I, I am just... I'm just black enough to where, like, uh, have you heard, have you heard about the story of the lizard people, like, underneath San Francisco? Yes, because it's also a big thing in Australia. Lovely. So there was one lady who was like, oh, yeah, we moved into this new house, and ever since we moved, uh, my daughter had been saying that she saw this, uh, other person, other thing in our house. It's her friend. So, like, she's like, I'm gonna make a sandwich for my kid, and, like, this imaginary creature, and she looks into the closet, and this, like, lizardy hand comes out, and the daughter's, like, feeding it. It's like, Cool, time to burn the goddamn house down. And We're I mean, done. With those prices in San Francisco? <laughs> uh, also see my rage in a Jiffy uh, commercial, a Jiffy peanut butter commercial. Okay. I, 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 I just I'm, gave the blank look. I'm sorry. I'm the one who's derailed the podcast this time. Uh, there's a Jiffy peanut butter commercial where this uh, kid is, has an imaginary friend named Charlie, which is obviously a ghost name. Uh and the kid's like, Mom, will you make a sandwich for me and Charlie? And the mom makes a peanut butter sandwich because that's what America says you do. I'm allergic to peanut butter. Don't make me one of those. Please um, don't. Anaphylactic so shock is really gross. It is. So she makes two sandwiches and, like, the camera pans away and looks at the mom and then it pans back to the kid. And, like, this obviously blank seat, but there's a bite taken out of one of the sandwiches. I was like, no! We're done here! We're finished! So at the risk of continuing to derail... Yes. I had an imaginary friend when I was a kid. Oh, God. And his name was Benji. Okay. And my mom asked me once, why don't you hang out with Benji anymore? And I let her know that he died from a massive heart attack. No. I was like five. No. I didn't know what a heart attack was. No. I don't like that. I found out my sister had the same imaginary friend. (laughs) No. Anyway, moving on. I, I I think what we're getting at to tie it back in is that I think we're in that group that this is still scary to us. I wouldn't call Poe's work traditionally, again, like, I wouldn't really call it horror because it's not really horrifying. But it does, 
echo loudly in my mind when I'm laying down and cannot sleep. So like the exorcist kind of does that for me too, where I was watching it I'm like, this is stupid. And you turn it off and then you're like, Oh my God though. What yeah. if? I think he's very good at tapping into fears that realistically, I think most people have this very few are willing to look at like that terrifying weird vulture eye. Yes. The whole thing of like, when you see somebody who's got something and you're like, okay, it's not, it's not nice. It's not okay. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to be rude. And then you're like, why is it looking directly at me? Yep. And, in, and we kind of are going to go into that a little bit more with themes, um, especially about the eye. As you had written down, Poe definitely has a thing for eyes. Yeah, Poe has a thing for eyes. Um, it, something about eyes and sight appears in almost all of his works. It's a common thread. You can tell it's Poe because there's typically some eye stuff in there. Um, I mean, base level, like, AP literature, when you look about, uh, when you talk about eyes and you see eyes as a metaphor, it's usually some kind of mirror into the soul or mirror into psyche. It's also literally how we see and thus blinding or obstructing vision then blinds us to the conditions of existence. So if you take away sight, then you take away your ability to perceive and then thus in a lot of ways to then be perceived. And then having, if anything, those senses heightened, which Poe also loves to do, um, then you get to almost be overwhelmed by sensation. Um, I have anxiety and there are times where noise sounds so loud. The hum of my fan, the sound of my air conditioner, the rustling outside of my window, all is just deafening. The sound of my own heart to times that I will it to stop for a moment just so the noise can end. That was very poetic. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do understand that. It's like when you're in the midst of a full-on panic attack, everything is louder and more offensive and just terrifying, especially if you're at work and the phones won't stop ringing and nobody will, and everybody keeps coming by and asking you questions. Nobody will leave you alone. Um, I feel like with the eyes in this, he is seeing the, the old man. I, I feel like the narrator is worried that the old man is seeing directly into his crazy. Yeah. And that's why he keeps feeling like he has to tell people, no, but I'm not crazy. Like his eye is really creepy. Yeah. And that's such a performative thing for those with mental illness is being worried that people can see through you. Um, I will, I will go back to your sociopathy point. That's a big concern that sociopaths have that people will see through the ruse that, Hey, you don't actually feel you're just very good at reflecting or mimicking. Yes, you're, you're picking up other people's emotions and copying them, but it's not necessarily something that you truly feel. That's why sociopaths, uh, they actually do very well at therapy. They do very poorly in therapy. Yes. They're very good at doing what needs to be done to get the therapist to leave them alone. Right. Um, there's a lot in, in this short story of justification of actions. Yes. I mean, how many times does he say you would have, or you would think, or you would, it was, it's very much trying to get the listener or the reader on his side. Yeah. It's a classic debate tactic. He, I mean, he keeps pointing out, I'm not crazy. I'm just really observant. And let me just tell you all the ways I'm not crazy. 
Yeah, it's it's rationalization, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost distracting in places, right? Because realistically, I can buy a story of a rando person murdering someone. I watch a lot of crime TV. I can buy that story to rationalize it that much. And actually, I started watching the first forty eight, which is like a crime a homicide units in mm-hmm. different uh, cities, and they say if you can at least figure out most of the case in the first 48 hours, like, you're good. Anything after that first 48 hours, this is probably going to be a cold case. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things they say is that when they're interviewing folks, suspects, is that, like, an over-amount of rationalization or an over-amount of remorse looks way more suspicious than that, and that wasn't even in the same room. Like, that looks way less suspicious than, well, of course I wouldn't! Right. I would never, yeah. ever do anything like that. And it's, like, even just watching older movies where like the femme fatale is like leaning against the thing I can't believe you think I would kill my husband oh god I love that trope I mean I hate it but I love it I mean that was like my burlesque persona so that's fair yay um there's a lot of torment and guilt there's too much of it uh I mean it's the whole crux of the story is that this narrator feels intense guilt about the thing that was done and it haunts him like a revenant. Mm. Do I have to explain what a revenant is? No. Good. Look it up. Google it. I, I made a damn good analogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the really interesting things is um, if when you're reading reviews and discussions of the story, is people trying to find a rational explanation. Yeah. Is he hearing the heartbeat in his head? Is it... Death watch beetles, which are these beetles that live in the walls, and when they're mating, they make this noise, and it sounds like a thumping, which gross, bug yeah. horn. Mm-hmm. Um, but the death watch beetle is considered to be one of those things that if you hear it, it means that somebody is going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the interpretations of is he having like really having a panic attack? Is he full of guilt? Is it a supernatural theme? We don't know and Poe doesn't explain it because that's part of the mystery and that's that's, part of the anxiety. That's the whole damn point. Yeah. That's the uh, I think it was um, it was after Get Out came out the director of Jordan Peele kept going, if you're still asking questions, like, I can't help you. Like, the whole point is that you don't know, like, that it's kind of into you a little bit ambiguous. So. I love that movie. It's so good. It's such a good movie. It's really well done. Very, very well done. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of tormenting guilt in this. I mean, and it does butt up against the whole sociopathy angle that we've played at. Because if you're a true sociopath, you would not feel guilt about this. You would mostly be worried about getting caught. Uh, I mean, I think the only good example of a sociopath on television has ever just been American Psycho. That's been the only good example. That's still a- the, the movie? Yes. I hate that book. Oh, the book's awful. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't need a bunch of chapters on why Whitney Houston is the way she is and why you don't need to listen to live concerts. Yeah, no, I mean, the movie is, the movie is good. Uh, don't listen to Sherlock when he says that because Stephen Moffat's an idiot. Yeah, Moffat doesn't really understand um, sociopathy or psychopathy um, evidenced by Sherlock Holmes and River Song. But that's a whole other story we'll go into later. Yeah, we can Or never. I mean, hopefully never, because we can have a whole other podcast on that. 
I mean, I feel like we should just have a t-shirt now that says that's a whole other podcast, but, um, I was gone for two weeks and now you, you add on the design work again. I'm sorry. It's not your fault. Okay. So we also had put in here death as the end or not the end. Right. Because realistically, if this uh, person who was murdered is either leaving signs or has not truly died, because that's always how I sort of interpreted the noise is that perhaps he's not really dead and is just trying to get out. You hear that sometimes in cemeteries. That uh, if you hear like thumping or noises, it's because uh, that person was not embalmed correctly and is not dead. See, I was just after him being dismembered. I kind of figured that was. It. I mean, yeah, but like in a in a metaphorical sense, then it's like maybe he's still around, just hanging out. Okay, so that that is a point yeah. I do want to make up. So, he, in the book or the short story, he supposedly kills this dude right after midnight, and mm-hmm. then is done with everything by four a.m. when the cops show up. Yeah. So here's my thing: if this is your first time dismembering and murdering a dude, yeah. and you cut him up, clean up the whole mess, and hide the body under the floorboards in four hours, how have you never done this before? Yeah, that's actually. So I took a forensics class, so I'm not just a murderer. Um, one of the first things that they always say is like soft fatigue. Right. It takes a lot to dismember a human body. Do you have any idea how large a human body is? And I'm going to tell you right now, from this time period, there was no, like, sawzall that you could use to, like, shorten the work. No. Like, you, this would need, you would need practice. You would need to be a Sweeney Todd to do this. Are you swinging your razor wide? That, that all was so much. Like, you're, (laughs) you're right. Like, this this had to have been practiced or learned, or if you're in a frenzy or you're a berserker, I don't know. But like, this is not something that people could do organically and naturally within that time frame. I mean, I just tried to help my dad with his house when he was still alive, and we were using a saw and using a um, sledgehammer to try and knock down this one panel. And I gotta tell you, I was tired after like five seconds. So I can't imagine like trying to break apart somebody's joints and cut them up so I can hide them under the floorboards. Because you still have to pry up the floorboards and put them back mm-hmm. and make sure that there's no blood evidence. I mean, they didn't have forensics, really. But you it can tell there's a giant time, fucking but... pool of blood. I mean... There's a, there's a giant fucking pool of blood in the corner. I mean, have you ever... I've caught myself <laughs> shaving so many times, like, shaving my legs... There is still a lot of times blood traces in the tub that you're not noticing. Accurate. Also, um, if you ever would like a good example of what I imagine this is like, uh, John Green, when he was early into the Vlogbrothers project, uh, was trying to dismantle a wall and he couldn't. He could not dismantle a wall. And it's the funniest video that I think I've ever seen on the internet. And I think is pretty much how I approach this whole thing. That you could not without some kind of practice or motive or praxis do this within four hours. I just don't think it's possible. There was a woman who dismembered her husband with a butcher knife and it took her three days. Yeah. It took her days to do it. I mean, she later cooked and ate him, but it took her days to do it. Wait, was this the lady in Australia? Yes. Okay. (laughs) We've also watched Deadly Women. Okay, so Deadly Women, I had to stop watching though because, I mean... (laughs) Whenever it got to the kids, I was like, yeah. okay, De- well. Deadly Women, for me, I also watch a lot of Intervention, because I need help. Uh. So when my stepsister was going to beauty school, one of the girls at her beauty school was on Intervention. Oh, no. 
for alcoholism. Oh, no. And they were following her around with a camera. Oh, no. And, like, following her to lunch and stuff. And so my stepsister was like, yeah, it was really weird. All of a sudden, we realized that this girl had a drinking problem. But, like, yeah, de- Deadly Women I can't really watch. Hello, spider. That's a really big spider. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Hey, I hear you're talking about my favorite author. Can I come hang out with you? And I'm like, you are almost as big as uh, the little pull tab for my wine. So oh, okay, it's um, looking right at us. If if the podcast ends abruptly or you don't hear from us for a very long time, it's because we were murdered by this spider. <laughs> I, I kind of think he just wants to be friends. But I also, really don't. I'm white, so you know. I tend to be like, the monster and I are going to be friends. And Amanda's like, no. Okay, yeah, you can go ahead in the shape of water this shit all you want. I want it dead. (laughs) So, death. So, one of the really cool interpretations that I was reading about, um, there are some people who have this feminist interpretation of what if the narrator is in fact a woman who's tired of being objectified by this dude. And I, I frankly can't picture that. But we were also talking about, like, Deadly Women. Notice there's so many less episodes of Deadly Women than there are forensic files. Or even just the idea that women can't be murderers is frustrating to me. Um, I also don't like the way that Deadly Women frames a lot of woman murder. Which, uh, there's a note here to talk about Bill Gannett, and I'm going to get to her in a second. But um, just the idea that, because I don't even like, I'm willing to buy into the feminist hot take that this is a woman murdering a man. But the idea that there needs to be a reason for it bothers me. Like, realistically, if someone's going to get down to murder town, there doesn't always need to be a reason. (laughs) There often is. And that does tend to become sympathetic for female cases. There's always a reason. Oh, well, he was abusive. Or, oh, well, this. Or, oh, well, that. But it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around the fact that women can be just as crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we mentioned this very, very early in the podcast, um, this idea that mental illness is a very, like, straight white man thing. Especially, like, the more psychotic mental illnesses, like your bipolars and your uh, schizophrenias and stuff like that. That this is an illness for young, straight white men. And that's not true. No, it is um, everybody. Yeah. In every race, in every sex. Right. Across orientations, it doesn't care that you're trans or that you're gay or that you're non-binary. Mental illness does not care. Um, <laughs> so... And I, I can I can hear some of you feverishly typing, well, what about the rates? What about the percentages? Unfortunately, we live in a patriarchal society that does not allow women to seek mental health attention the way that it allows men. My favorite is when you go to a doctor and you say, I'm having a lot of anxiety and stress. And they say, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? That's one of them. Yep. The second one is, well, maybe if you lost some Yes. Okay, yeah, because uh, my serotonin levels are totally going to be affected by that cheeseburger. Okay, yeah. cool. Or even just societal. Like I remember um, my father passed when I was young, and my mother, as a gesture, signed me up for group therapy. But I remember being in the car with my mom and her saying, don't cry in front of these people. You'll make me look bad. So, like, not e- we're not even at the doctor stage. <laughs> we're at the... We're at the home stage. Women are not allowed to express mental illness in the way that men are. Oh, and if we do, then we're hysterical. Yes. Or we're just batshit crazy. And if, and I'm not saying we are. I'm saying that's the term that the gets The pejorative term. Yes. Um, 
I mean, I have some family members who, you know, they do suffer from mental illness. Huh, I guess what? It's genetic. But it's really interesting to watch how you're told as a very young kid, okay, so I get that you're depressed, but I need you to not be making it really (laughs) obvious. Also, here's how to hide it. Like, it's, it's terrifying, but it's a thing. Yeah. But, um. I, I'm fine with the hot take of this being a female killing a man. I'm fine with it. I disagree with it, but as someone who writes a lot of fan fiction, I can't say no. The spider got closer. Hi, spider friend. The, the best part is that he is, or he or she, I don't know what, um, the spider is over a little model of a hearse that's from the Haunted Mansion from Florida's Disneyland or Disney World. And I'm like, do you want to get in it? Do you want to drive it? I've been trying to Instagram the spider, but as soon as I lift up my phone, it moves. But um, I get to talk about Belle Ganess now. Yes, you do. So Belle Ganess was a female serial killer who, fun fact, was actually inspired by the crimes of H.H. H. Holmes. Really? Yeah. Uh, so H.H. H. Holmes. Yeah. So Tori just flipped off the spider because now she's trying to Instagram it too. Because I'm a bad influence. Um. But Belganess was actually inspired by the murders that H.H. H. Holmes did, because especially the insurance fraud part. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to talk about H.H. H. Holmes, uh, because I have too many feelings about it, hence why Tori made me a glittery murder castle shirt that I still wear sometimes. Aww. Um, but Belganess was a female serial killer who might have one of the highest female serial killer uh, like numbers in America. The at, spider is a troll. At this point. Right time, the spider is just fucking with us. Yeah, the spider is being a jerk, and I love it. But uh, she might be one of those prolific serial killers in America, uh, still not beating Elizabeth Bathory, because no one can. Uh, her known way of killing people was poisoning, bludgeoning, and or dismemberment. There was a lot of dismemberment being fed to pigs. She often put uh, want ads in the local uh, Norwegian-American papers, because she was Scandinavian. She would lure men into Mary. And then she would kill them. I mean, how weird does that have to be? Like, you put a Lonely Hearts ad and you're like, man, I really just want a wife. This chick's like, I'm really into you. Like, can you So sign? much so that I want to murder you. Let's get married right now. Also, can you sign this piece of paper? Thanks, buddy. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say a feminist hot take. Uh, the existential terror of having a man. She got the spider! Uh, of having a man being concerned about going on a date and dying is actually kind of rewarding because I know I've been on plenty of Tinder dates and I've been very concerned about dying. Oh, that's that's always the best is um, when you go on a date and you're like, wow, that was kind of weird, but you know, I'm okay, I'm safe. You take a couple extra different routes home, one directly well, no, by the I've, station. I've been on dates recently and I've told you, hey, I'm going on a date. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm going to be. If you do not hear from me within a certain time period, call the BAU and Dr. Spencer Reed. Speaking of Dr. Spencer Reed, yes, uh, Matthew Gray Goobler does read a version of Telltale Heart, which I will include on the website so you guys can listen to the pure sex that is Spencer Reed's voice. He also gets to play the Riddler in Batman Assault on Arkham. What? Yeah. I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> he does an amazing job. He might be one of the best actors for the Riddler. He gets to play uh, Edward E. Enigma. I mean, I really, really wish they would stop make or would have stopped making his life horrible in Criminal Minds. We don't have time for this. No, we because don't. I have I'm a lot sorry. of thoughts. We don't. I need you to know how how just sternly I looked at Tori. Oh, it was we it was pretty stern. I thought I was in yeah. big trouble. We don't have time for this because I have a lot of thoughts. Um, so feminist hot take. I'm fine with it. I don't agree with it, but I'm fine with it. Though I did almost judge you uh, 
for going ahead and default gendering the narrator male. I'm sorry. Well, I've been I've been on I've been on Black YouTube a lot, which is just where like Black people have discourse. Um, shout out to uh, T1J for being an amazing Black YouTuber and talking about things like colorism and things like that. But we were talking about, like defaults and such. So yeah, like the idea that the default for this uh, for this narrator would be a you know white dude. Not just because it was a different time, because I can hear you all, it was a different time, but the idea of those defaults is just interesting to me. In my defense, yes, it's because Poe had a lot of issues with women, mostly yes, it was the saint or sinner perspective. Yeah, he had a whole lot of whore Madonna stuff. Yeah, it was uh, very much... Oh, no, 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 This is a beautiful, innocent child. I must marry her. But we'll get into that in a minute. We will. Uh, what other themes do we have? Where are we? Oh, language. Language. So, I love the way Poe uses words. I'm a bit of a word nerd. Um, as is Tori. But I love the way he uses language. And the way he uses repetition and alliteration. Those are all things that if you're writing a paper to talk about exactly saint amanda coming for you once more for my novena candle you can leave out a well-written fan fiction a cupcake and some wine uh <laughs> i'm an awful saint i'd be a horrible saint you'd be the saint who's like has the the image of like somebody flipping off on the uh outside of the candle yeah what is that a uh, novena candle they made of Carrie Fisher, where she's like flipping someone off and has her pu- her has her French bulldog on the other hand? I have the print of it. In yeah, here. that's kind um, of that'd be kind of me. But or the um, one where she's holding the cow tongue. Yes, yes. But um, definitely go over his use of language, which is fascinating. I did not list examples in here because there's too fucking many, um, and I made the note of think of iambic pentameter, but not for assholes or basics. That's fair. Um, I had to learn iambic pentameter because, of course, I did. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Peach, when I was in. Uh, my freshman year of school because we had to do the entire opening to Romeo and Juliet in I Iambic Pentameter. Shakespeare? Yep. Yeah. We're going to have to read that. Uh-huh. God damn it. And we get to talk about Romeo and Juliet and performing that in class the one time I felt like a super champion. The spider's back to taunt us. I've named him Thackeray. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, based on size, though, this might be a female. Thackerina? Sure. Talia. Talia. I just made a Batman reference. Self high five. Uh, the unreliable narrator. Yay. Get a lot of this with Philip Roth too. Yes. Uh, the unreliable narrator might be one of my favorite literary devices and my favorite literary tropes. I completely understand why people don't like it though. Because I, I mean, I get it, especially if you're just trying to read this in 20 minutes so you can be done and walk away. You're like, be straightforward, MFR. But that's me in high school. Um, <laughs> but when you're older and you've met a lot of unreliable narrators, or you've been one yourself while telling a story while intoxicated, it, you start to feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you've ever read my fiction, uh, so I like bingo boards a lot. So I got to do the, if you've read a fiction piece by Amanda, like Bingo Card, an unreliable narrator, I think is like the free space. Yes. I love unreliable narrators because here's my thing with storytelling. Get two people who witnessed an event Mm -hmm. and ask them to retell that event. 
And I can guarantee you, even with no coaxing, they will tell different stories about events. What's interesting, too, is that um, cops will sometimes look for this, too, especially if people are trying to put their story together and yes. make it sound very similar. Yes. If your story is verbatim the same thing. You have not done it. You have not done your job. Right. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to make a reference to the movie called uh, Meet the Robinsons. Oh. That whole uh, sequence with uh, the who we meet later as the villain, but his name is Goob at the time. And he's telling the story about his day and how horrible it was. But then you see that it actually was a great day and he's just being a negative Nancy. That's an unreliable narrator. And I love it because especially mundane things can make you an unreliable narrator. Trauma can make you an unreliable narrator. Anxiety can make you an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator. You don't always even intend to be an unreliable narrator. Your lens and how you view the world, your optics, uh, brought it back to eyes, uh. Uh, changes how you tell a story. And it's not always done... I think people don't like the unreliable narrator because they assume, well, it's a lie and it's intentional. No, that's not true. Um, there was one night that I was telling the story of the night my mom died. And by accident, I had conflated something. And my aunt caught me on it. She's like, that's not how that happened. It's like, it isn't? I was an unreliable narrator to that story, but in my defense, that was a hella traumatic night. Yeah, I mean, just a bit. Yeah, I mean, in my defense, hella traumatic night, but... I wasn't intending to be an unreliable narrator. That wasn't my goal. I didn't wake up that morning hoping to tell that story falsely. It just happened. Um, And in this instance, we only have one narrator. So we can say that this narrator is unreliable all we want. We don't know. I mean, he might be perfectly sane. No, well, no, not. I'm not going to say. No, I'm I'm not not going there. No. Yeah, no, we're not. We're not going to say perfectly sane. But yeah, this guy could have had a terrifying demon eye. And thus needed to, needed to perish. Like, I mean, he, he literally could have been some sort of lizard creature in San Francisco. Yeah. We don't know that. We don't know. We only... That's the thing with unreliable narrators is that you only know after. And I personally hate, like, third-person omniscient. Yes? Sorry, now, now the spider is climbing the window. Oh, it did a little dance. Thank you for your dance, friend. He's like, well, you're not trying to film me. Can can the spider be a, a regular on the pod? I mean, if he feels like showing up or it feels like showing up on a regular. Watch it build the biggest web right here. <laughs> oh, it just dropped down and went, okay, sorry. We're the, the spider is, I'm assuming, a birthday present that was set up for me? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and not the stuff that's on the table downstairs that I haven't wrapped yet, so don't look at it. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. All of those are things. Everything is wonderful. Uh, this might be one of my favorite tropes, and I get why you don't like it, but it's fine. Leave me alone. It's actually, I feel like this was one of the more fun things for us to read, and it also helped that it was really short when we were in a very busy time frame. Yeah! Yeah! I just got back from a convention. I still have my voice, uh, which is lovely. Which is rare. It so is I'm rare. impressed. And you did, like, what, three or four panels? I had three panels. Oh my god. And I got stuck in between uh, two karaoke events one night. Oh, wow. Wait, were you participating in the karaoke events? I ended up, they were doing, this one guy was doing a very horrible rendition of uh, one of the songs from Rent. Fun fact, I did Rent when I was in high school. And another person did a horrible version of Stars from Les Mis, which is one of the songs that I hope to go out to. So I said, and I quote, uh, point to the note if you can't find it. That's a common, like, choir, like, shitty theater term. 
Because, you know, like, when uh, pop singers, they do the whole like, gesturing. Yes. Like, point to the note if you can't find it. <laughs> Never heard that before. Point to it. Hope that you can find it. Because uh, we do that a lot, like, in musical theater. Like, I hope you find that note. Let's keep going for it. Uh, so there is a brief moment of me singing and trying to sing over this guy. So I do have a voice, which is shocking and surprising. And I'm glad to be here. I'm very tired. Now I feel like we need to go to karaoke. I would love that. My, my biggest mistakes and worst drunken nights were spent doing karaoke in my 20s. That's Shout funny. out to Hannah and the gang. Mm-hmm. You can probably hear me. Maybe not. I don't know. Do you want to talk about Poe's life? Let's talk about Poe's life because there is a lot of tea to spill. Yes, there is. Um, so, as far as like birth and death dates, you can look that up on Wikipedia. Yeah. Suffice it to say, this is around the Civil Era, or Civil War era. <laughs> the Civil Era. The Civil Era. No, there was never been a Civil Era in the United States. Anyway, Reach. what? So, his mom was an English actress mm-hmm. who emigrated to America. She was loved by everybody in the community. I mean, even though being an actress at that time was like one step above being a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, her, her husband and Poe's father was a really shitty actor that nobody really liked. Um, and he would get really mad when he got bad reviews, especially because his wife got really good reviews. Yeah, accurate. So at some point in time, he disappears, and everyone just kind of assumes he died. Mm-hmm. Um, Poe's mom ends up performing until, like, the last couple months of her life because she's got tuberculosis. And when she could no longer act, ladies of the town kind of stepped in to help. Mm-hmm. Poe was taken in by the Allens, and his two other siblings were adopted by families who, you know, actually took care of them. Yes. Um, he usually signed his work Edgar A. Poe. The A stood for Allen. Um, those were the folks who took him in as a child, but they never officially gave the last name. His kind of semi-adoptive mom, Frances Allen, was really the only person who liked him in the house and was very much, hey, he's a sweet baby angel. He's mine. Like, let's, let's protect him and keep him safe. And John Allen was like, no, I hate this kid. But, um, as soon as Frances died, he kind of... John pulled back on the funding for Poe's education. And I mean, this may have had a lot to do with the fact that Edgar Allan Poe was uh, incurring a lot of debts and drinking heavily and doing a lot of stupid shit. Accurate. So John Allen ends up ripping him out of school and telling him, I'm going to make you, you're going to become a clerk because no one is going to pay shit for you. So basically think of it like, your stepmom dies and then like your adoptive dad pulls you out of school and says, you're going to go work in fast food because I ain't taking care of you anymore. So thinking it's the best idea in the world, Edgar ends up joining the army as a Sergeant major. Um, he was only 18, but he told everybody he was 22 and that his name was Edgar Perry. He ended up getting out. I seem to remember reading something about him trying to intentionally get court-martialed. So he'd get kicked out. It was a whole thing. It was a thing. Um, he ended up moving in with his aunt and her two kids, one of which would become his wife. Uh, Virginia married Poe when she was 14 and he was 27. Uh, and a lot of historians, especially really big Poe historians, make a big deal of saying, oh, we don't think they ever consummated it. It, it never happened. you know. Uh, but guys, they, they were together for 10 years. Yeah, uh... I, we, before we started recording, I very briefly mentioned my short story with uh, Merlene and Rimbao, and we talked about, like, uncomfortable age differences. Uh, yeah, there was a whole lot of, well, it was a different time, but also, you And I mean, a lot of the, the theory that they give is, oh, well, you know, he 
married her because he didn't want her to go live with this other family that was going to try and make her into a lady and maybe marry the son or anything like that. Sorry, there's but another spider. There's another one? Oh, it's a little tiny one. It's like a little ghost spider. What is going on in this room today? We're beset by spider. Oh, God. <sighs> this is the end. Remember that awkward time where I probably should have pest control come to my house? I'll just let the cats in here. They'll eat them. Um, you don't like that. I don't So not on the subject of spiders. Um, Poe is pretty much responsible for detective fiction. This was way before Sherlock Holmes. Um, His DuPont stories with murders in the room morgue. Um, If I ever make a joke about a monkey, you'll know why. If you've read (sighs) Murders in the Room morgue. If you haven't, that made no sense. I've read it and I understand it. I'm still disappointed in you. Okay. I mean... (laughs) You being disappointed in me is pretty much the status quo at this point. No! Okay. I, I take intense umbrage. I'm only disappointed in your crappy knife skills. Yeah, my knife skills are really crappy. This is why I'm not going to be the one dismembering the body. I mean, what? Um, even Watson in the Sherlock Holmes refers to Poe's detective fiction. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing. It's a huge thing. I'm going to let you to handle this point because I know how much you love this era. Oh my god. I'll, I'll wait till... Cause I just had to like hard swallow some cheese and that Sorry. was horrible. No, it's not your fault. Um, so Poe is very, very popular in France, mostly because of Charles Baudelaire. And um, there's there's a lot of discussion on why the French love Poe so much. Because like, he wasn't very popular in England during the time. Uh, but the French, I guess because of the ennui and malaise, loved him. And thought he was the bee's knees. And uh, Baudelaire translated a lot of his work. Uh, they worked very closely together because uh, French, like a lot of other languages, has multiple words that mean multiple things. So he did his best um, to provide translations that actually made sense, especially for the poetry. Right. Uh, it, his poetry is, Poe's poetry is very hard to translate to other languages because words are dumb sometimes. Uh, so much so that I believe the epitaph written on Poe's grave was written by Baudelaire. Really? I believe so. Or something like, on like a monument or a something, Baudelaire wrote a nice thing. Uh, because surprisingly, Baudelaire lived longer than he should. I mean, and that's pretty nice because Griswold didn't do it. But we'll get into that in a minute. Yes. So when Poe's wife, Virginia, started coughing up a lot of blood, yeah. thanks to tuberculosis, it's the gift that keeps on giving, um, Poe pretty much lost his damn mind and mm-hmm. started drinking even more heavily than before. Yeah, he was already drinking and using laudanum a lot at that time. Yes. So while Virginia was dying, he ended up striking up a correspondence with a poet named Sarah Helen Whitman. Um, and Virginia actually kind of gave thumbs up on it. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, I'm not going to be around for much longer. Oh, God. But after Virginia died, this other lady started, society lady started sending letters to Poe, mm-hmm. supposedly. Her name was Elizabeth Ellett. Mm-hmm. And either Poe was super not into her, or she was really thirsty, because there were supposedly a ton of letters written to Poe that got no response. Mm-hmm. So either Poe was sending sexy letters to himself, or she was really into it and still doing it even though she didn't get a response. But it became a huge scandal because Ellet was like, "Oh, yeah, he's writing letters to himself." I'm sorry. Are we back at a Are we back at a Fitzgerald thing? Are you writing first notes to yourself? Yes. Oh, Fitzgerald. Hi. You should come visit me because I'm very, very lonely. 
I thought you were asking for an invitation for Fitzgerald to visit you as a ghost. I was about to have no part of this. No, I... I, I <laughs> no, thank you. I've said many times I'm going to quit the podcast, and that was the most genuine if you are inviting ghosts Ooh, in. No, 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 no. I'm going to go ahead and pull a BuzzFeed Unsolved. I'm a full Bugara, and I do not support inviting ghosts into house. So I watched that with Mark, and the whole point where the one guy's like, Hey, demons, it's your boy. That, Shane! That straight up is my husband. We'll go no. places, and I'm like, supposedly it's haunted by it. He's like, what up? <laughs> like, yeah. So, he doesn't believe in any of okay, it. Okay, so your husband's a Shaniac, and okay. I'm not. I'm a full-on Bugara. I respect ghosts, and I don't want them following me. We have so much fun, because I will talk to Amanda on Messenger and just be like, straight up, this cryptozoological thing was found in this part of Texas, and we'll go on for 20 minutes, and I'll look over at my husband and go, so anyway, this thing is not real. I had to prove to him last night that there is a lady buried in Texas in a Ferrari in a lace nightgown last night. Because he didn't believe me. Do we need to go to the funeral museum? Yes! I do please. Have, I do have a birthday coming out. So, <laughs> I had to talk about the pettiness chair. <gasps> please talk about the pettiness chair. So I was in Richmond, Virginia uh, last year at a family wedding, and I got to go visit uh, the Poe Museum because obviously I fucking did. <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously. I remember messaging Tori from my Uber. I think there are stickers still behind my computer yes, right now that are. I need to put on the computer. Yes. Uh, so I got to go to the Poe Museum, and it was wonderful and magical, and there were two black cats there uh, who were very loving and sweet and did not stand still for photos. Um, and while I was there, I got to see this chair that was used by Poe during his time writing for like a local like book or newspaper. It looks like a fine chair. And then you read the note above it. Apparently Poe was very fond of being a lazy asshole at work. Mm -hmm. And he oftentimes fell asleep in his chair. So his editor in chief intentionally cut the back of his chair to be extra uncomfortable. So he could not get comfortable and fall asleep in his chair. And I remember sending this to Tori Saying that this is a level of petty that I one day ascribe to be. <laughs> and I made sure to put in the show notes, please, oh, please, oh, please talk about the petty chair. Yes. And I'm, I have all of my photos. I will share this with Tori and we can put that on the Instagram. I had a great time at the Poe Museum. Uh, not sponsored yet, but if you'd ever like us to do an episode, uh, y'all have great acoustics. Yes. They were doing like a Christmas party there. I had to leave. I had only had an hour. I could have. I could have slept there. For some reason, I just imagined you singing O Tannenbaum in German, and I don't know why. I mean, you know why. <laughs> you know why. Uh, so We have one, a lot more life to cover. One of the best things about Poe is that he just kind of pissed everybody off. Um, Sarah Helen Whitman was willing to give up everything for him. Yes. Her mom said, if you marry this dude, I'm cutting you off without a cent. And her only condition was that he stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. He did not stop drinking. Of course not. He also had this feud with this writer and editor named Rufus Griswold, which he ended up writing his uh, obituary, which we'll get to at the end. We will. But he once offered to publish Poe's poems in a collection that he was doing. And he's like, okay, this is great. So mm-hmm. he gave him three poems. But the collection ended up featuring, like, 50 poems by Griswold's friend. Yes. So Poe was really pissed off because his is, like, at the back and totally unviewed. Mm-hmm. 
And Griswold goes, hey, I'm going to give you like a hundred bucks if you write this positive review of this book. And so Griswold's like, this is going to be great. All these people are going to buy this poetry. It's badass. This is wonderful. And he's telling all of his friends who are published in the book, this is great. Don't stress. We're going to get a great review. And instead, Poe tore it apart and said none of the poets were worth anything but him and that they'd all be forgotten. So it became a big petty fight between Griswold and him. Yes. Um, despite the fact that Poe was very famous and that the Raven was very famous in his publication, he died in poverty because even back then, being a full-time author, if ever, rarely paid out. Realistically, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think a lot of his issues with money were less about uh, him not making money on his work and more about addiction being expensive. A lot of them isn't cheap nor does it fall off the back of trucks. Yeah. And also, you didn't get paid that much back then either. Yeah, so like, I think it's a, I think it's a double edged sword. I think it's easy to say, oh, well, he was just this unpopular, unfamous author. No, he was very famous. Yeah, he made a lot of money. Just cognac and laudanum aren't free. They don't come floating down on angels' wings. No, and when you make enemies with all the bars in town, they don't really uh, give you discounts. No, they don't. So here comes the really fun mystery. And this is one of the reasons I think Poe is still so popular. Enigmatic. Enigmatic. Um, Poe was found dead when he was about 40 years old. And the weird thing is he was found dead near a polling place on election day in somebody else's clothes. There are a ton of different theories about what might have happened. Rabies from a cat. Epilepsy. Alcoholism. Encephalitis. Encephalitis. There's a big one where people think he was a victim of cooping, which is basically where you're kidnapped and imprisoned and forced to vote multiple times in different clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, But nobody really officially knows how he died. They do know that when he was in the hospital, he kept shouting Reynolds, but none of his family or close friends knew who the hell that was. Mm -hmm. And because he had pissed off so many people, there were a ton of suspects. Yes. And the cops really weren't super inclined to figure it out. No, they were not. Okay, so this is my favorite level of petty from Rufus Griswold. One of the lines in the obituary he wrote of Poe is, this announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. The best part is Griswold owned the rights to all of Poe's work after his death. Mm -hmm. So, like... How awful is that to be? Hey, dude, can you make sure that this stuff gets taken care of after I die? Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. I'm going to write a really shitty obituary about you. That's like the ultimate petty payback. Yes. Sorry, I was going through my photos from Richmond because I think that they actually kind of discovered why he died. Oh, did they? Yeah. Uh, diet and arsenic. Really? Yeah, they found a ton of arsenic in his hair. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so not a fun, not a fun reason, but like not taking care of himself and probably arsenic. We solved the mystery, guys. We, we solved. It. I mean, like realistically, we could still like we could still say we don't know. Because I mean, does does it count if it's the first forty eight hundred years? Yeah. Okay. I mean, realistically, yeah, we could still figure out what it was, but that's been especially Richmond has been trying to figure out what killed one of their favorites. Richmond. Yeah, thank you, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, the house that he grew up in was the oldest house in Richmond, Virginia. Hence why it is now a museum. The spider taunts us. It does. It's just running around. There's multiple spiders in here. We're talking about Poe. It's been a... It's a very atmospheric July. Yes. Um, 
His death was very sad, though. So, we kind of had to read this in school, but it really wasn't emphasized. We were yeah. reading a bunch of Poe. We read The Raven, Cast Amontillado, and a little bit of Pit of the Pendulum. But I frankly forgot how short the Telltale Heart was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, that's kind of telling that I don't really remember much of it from high school because I didn't care. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you have way more of an impact now when you're older and you've gotten away with a lot more and you know what it's like to feel guilty. Yeah, um, I did have to read this in school, but I agree. Like, It always felt like such a torture. It felt like such a slog having to read this in school. I had to read this when I was in college as well because he's one of five American authors. Am I wrong? What is it? This Fitzgerald, Hemingway, Faulkner, and Hawthorne. Hawthorne. There you go. Wow. Not a woman in sight. Not a person of color in sight. Oh, that's depressing. Isn't it? Uh, So I had to read this when I was in school. and um, I always thought that I liked Poe, but I really liked The Raven, uh, The Pit and Pendulum. I think The Telltale Heart does get a bit of a bad reputation because I think again it's an optics issue it's people are trying to view this from a different perspective because mm-hmm. I think like and I, I'll, I'll put a little bit on English teachers and I know that what they're trying to do but it's frustrating where again like if you build this as horror especially to younger and younger readers they're not gonna get it mm-hmm. it's not like if you you when saying this is a horror to me something years ago you know, okay, it's still not, like, scream or anything like that, but I get it, it's scary. But you can't tell a kid nowadays who has seen some shit. I mean, we had, what, like, Rotten.com as teenagers, and now you can basically pull up autopsy photos anytime you want with the internet. And not even just that, but, like, I'm gonna go ahead and make this, like, a sociopolitical thing. The world is kinda... I... I don't like saying it's worse because, you know, we don't have slavery in a form. We do still have it in other forms. But, like, things are kind of on fire everywhere. And a lot of the difference is now we have access to see it versus before where it'd be like, we're just not going to show that. Right, like, I don't really remember seeing, like, horror or death or tragedy until I was in, like... I mean, technically it was 9-11 because that was very heavily recorded. Oh, yeah. Or then Hurricane Katrina. Oh, shit, yeah. And I was in high school. Like, not to get too, too political, because I feel like we do that every podcast. I remember growing up in the shadow of Columbine. Mm -hmm. I was a kid when that happened. And being told that would never happen again. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had a couple of the survivors from Columbine come and speak at our high school. And I just remember being so freaked out because I'm like this could happen again and then it happens all the time now yeah i think we've had a mass shooting every day of the year so far yeah i work in the death care industry so i have to know these things um it's shocking so yeah you cannot tell a kid nowadays this is horror because they know what real horror is Mm -hmm. it's getting an alert on your phone saying you need to get the fuck under your desk or someone's gonna fucking kill you it's the fact that we regularly get Amber Alerts letting us know that somebody's kidnapped a child. It's watching people, uh, Brock Turner, get basically very, very little punishment for raping and brutalizing women. It's, it's watching your friend who's of color be carried away or brutalized by the police. It's 
we know what horror is and what terror is. And I think if you try to build this as scary to a modern audience, you're going to lose people. You can build it as anxiety-fueled or dramatic or psychological or thoughtful. But I think that's where English teachers lose kids is when they try to use these words and they just don't mean the same thing that they do anymore. Or they don't provide that context. Right. Because I think if I have that context of, well, yeah, this isn't going to be like Scream. Cool, thanks. Honestly, I feel like, and I, I, I get that teachers are up against testing and all sorts of stuff now. Yes. I feel like it wasn't until I got into college and we learned more about the lives of the author and what they were going through and things like that, mm-hmm. that it actually got more interesting. And I know we talk a lot about death of the author and, you know, not do we? experiencing that. But we do. I we know. did in the beginning. I'm teasing. Um, I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> I was like, Hold up. Um, but I feel like now it's so much different. It's, um, I mean, like, and that's, that's something that kids are interested in and the kids. Wow. Um, but uh it's it's uh what is the background story on this what's going on with this what's yeah. happening there because i mean i gotta tell you right now reading about like women going after poe and people like coming into his speeches and stuff like that in his lectures and just like women being like bombing all over him yeah way more interesting than just here read this okay yeah. we've covered this for october like mm-hmm. Being able to connect with his stuff in a physical way, like going to that museum in Richmond was life-changing. And I know I'm just one small nerd who's literally been overseas and seen castles and shit. Like, that was life-changing because I'll, I'll tell you a brief personal story. Uh, my great-grandfather on my grandma's side, on my mom's side, uh, really, really old, like survived the Great Depression, everything. And I remember ha- visiting him was always a chore. It was always a chore because he lived out near the Oklahoma border. And I'm from North Texas. That's a trip. That is a trip. That's a trip. So visiting him was always a pain. My great-grandmother, his wife, was a mean woman. A mean woman who I swear was as old as time itself. Uh, And I can never really connect to my great-grandfather. But he had a huge-ass library. And I would always sequester myself in that library, trying to avoid how horrible my great-grandmother was. And I asked him some innocuous question about something about poetry and he quoted the first stanza of Annabelle Lee to me Wow! and I remember looking at this enwizened old man with a reverence and a tenderness that I had never done in my entire life and I think having those connections to his poetry and to his work not just for my great-grandfather but my own feelings about this being able to share those stories with people that I care about being able to share the anxiety that the pit and the pendulum has brought me made it easier to connect to his work and framing it in a different way. Because in Poe's case, I'm almost less interested in his life than I am the writer he was. Because I do confront a lot of those uh, odd things that you come up with when you have issues with authors in a different time. Because we do have to now butt up against a lot of like gross woman stuff and a lot of disgusting fetishism and some mm-hmm. flat out misogyny. Mm-hmm. We have to come up to all of those now. And that's frustrating and scary and hard to deal with. But I did have to read this in school. I'm glad that I read it again. I will continue to read it because I think it's beautiful. And um, yeah, that's Poe. That's Edgar Allan Poe. So we used 
a lot of resources for this. Too many fucking resources. Um, and they will be on our website as well, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I put the clip on there from The Simpsons for the beating of the hideous heart because I think it's amazing. Yes. Um, there's a portion from Thug Notes because I love Thug Notes. You do um, love Thug Notes. I did link to the Matthew, Matthew Gray Goobler version of him reading the story because, yes... Um, drunk history about the Poe feud with Rufus Griswold because I love me some drunk history. Mm-hmm. Um, Lynn Manuel Miranda, that was the best episode, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe starring Vincent Price. Yes. It's fabulous. Um, it's really great to hear the works performed, it gives you something else. Um, Edgar Allan Poe, Terror of the Soul, Edgar Allan Poe from the Biography Channel, mm-hmm. and Edgar Allan Poe, Love, Death, and Women from the BBC, BBC Four, if you care. Um, we care. And it was phenomenal, and I watched it last night. Mm-hmm. So, because it is your birthday month. Yes. And you are picking our next book, and I know we talked about this before, but I'm going to let you announce it because I want to. Yeah, we're reading some of the poetry of uh, Charles Baudelaire, who, if you stuck all the way through the podcast, you know, uh, translated a great deal of Poe's work into French. Uh, I did have some thoughts in this. It's not just uh, readers indulging me as I torture you all with obscure books. I do. I'm I'm surprisingly intentional with things. I don't know if y'all have noticed that yet, but I am surprisingly intentional and meticulous. Mm-hmm. And usually the things are connected now. I I I, th- I just I think that theming is important. I'm a social media manager by day, uh, so I try to make themes and such important. The spider still taunts us. <laughs> My brain when I think about you is like that line from Dune: "Plans within plans." I mean, I'm definitely not that bad, but I just, I think it makes it easier to connect and to plan when you have a reason to do so. Because if, I mean, realistically, a peek behind the curtain, we have, what, 150 books on a list? Mm-hmm. Maybe more. Probably more. I think I just keep kind of adding or, like, making mental notes and going, hey, we should do this. Yeah, so we kind of have to plan. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would just be us screeching at each other like two raptors. I have the the costumes for the uh, T Rex somewhere. <laughs> so that'll be fun. We'll announce which poems that we do read, though. I can guarantee you we're covering the Albatross because, damn it, it's my birth month. Excellent. Um, so if you want to find us on social media, we're at Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook, which is where a lot of you found us. Yay! Unfortunately, RR on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately Required on Instagram. Yes. Or if you just want to figure out them all at once, it's unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Yes. Um, and if you want to send us a message or talk to us about our podcast or a funny story or whatever, you can send it to unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Yeah. And don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. Yes. Because we are going to be holding that contest, which ends on the 20th. Yes. Um, I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about us and our words and our thoughts and our feelings. And by I can't wait, I mean I'm a little anxious. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm preparing the liquor now. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So far, it's been a great birth month for me. I'm so glad it has. Now, for the love of God, please go read a book. <laughs>